What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, David Rubenstein, private equity pioneer on a tale of two Americas. I think on the whole, the stock market's not our biggest problem. The biggest problem we have right now is the economy is still weighed down by COVID. The world's largest brewer, Anheuser-Busch InBev CEO Carlos Brito on the global beer market. Consumers are really looking forward to a time where they could go again to a sports ball, to a ball game in the stadium, to their bars and meet physically their friends, to traveling. So all those things are going to be there. And GameStop is back. The Reddit rebel loved stock on the way up. The tweets, the triumphs. Why? What does it mean? Yesterday, I agreed with Dave Portnoy. He was saying, who sounds the bell? Who tells everybody when they're supposed to buy? How does this happen? Those stories, plus vaccines and variants, and the investing wisdom of 97-year-old Charlie Munger. A busy pod today. It's Thursday, February 25th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, whoa, GameStop. The meme stock, the video game store at the heart of the Reddit rebellion, has had a wild ride this last month. But shares of the mall retailer are soaring after doubling during yesterday's session. So much movement that the stock was halted during the last half hour of the trading day Wednesday and closed higher by nearly, wait for it, 104%. So what gives? Two days ago, GameStop announced that CFO Jim Bell was resigning on March 26th. The company said it wasn't because of any disagreement. Bell has been with GameStop just under two years. The stock price was in the low single digits when he joined. But yesterday, Business Insider reported that Bell did not leave willingly, but was pushed out by Ryan Cohen, the co-founder of pet retailer Chewy, who made an investment in GameStop last year. Bloomberg reported that the GameStop board, which Ryan Cohen joined in January, pushed Bell out in order Order to execute its turnaround faster. One clue, if you could call it a clue, getting some attention. Yesterday, Cohen tweeted a picture of a McDonald's ice cream cone with a frog emoji. Mickey D's, I'm told, is notorious for broken ice cream machines. And last fall, franchisees took matters into their own hands and said fixing the complicated machines was a priority. Is that it? What do the memes mean? Guys, I mean, I, look, I was on these Reddit boards yesterday trying to understand what was going on. I don't know if you guys saw Dave Portnoy. I agreed with yesterday. I agreed with Dave Portnoy. He was saying, who 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 sounds the bell? Who tells everybody when they're supposed right. to buy? How does this happen? Because you couldn't it, it oddly enough on Reddit. And I would say most of social media, you couldn't actually figure out what was going on unless there was a massive group of people doing this outside of the eyes frankly, of the public. It was, it was, frankly, to me, very different than what we saw the last time around. And the question is, is it retail? Is it institutions? 
you know, who whispered to who to say, you know, game on right now? It's, I, I still don't, I don't get it. I don't, because I don't we had the understand news, it. We had the news of the, of, of Jim Bell. It didn't immediately happen. That's the rationale is that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to be savvy or, uh, or adept enough to turn it into whatever they think the Chewy guy wants to turn it into, which is an online giant in gaming, I guess, which, you know, the market cap, even after the big move yesterday, it's back where, you know, it's not, up where, remember at the, at the highs, it was like, wait a second, but, you know, three, four, five billion, if you move from brick and mortar and become much better at, at, at online, there's a lot of competition, obviously, but you could make the case if this guy at Chewy is a total genius, you get this guy out of the way. That, I mean, that was the rationale later in the day uh, that I, it was Jim Bell. But 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 it didn't happen when we said it. It, ha- it, was, it happened later. Kramer's well, tweeting about it now that it, uh, market makers, he's got some uh, some uh, some comments on explaining exactly what happened, uh, exactly what happened yesterday and this morning, because it only went to 90 only right. 90 yesterday, 100 and 100 percent or more. And now up another 56 percent. Um, I don't know. I, hey, Andrew, that the data you were talking about yesterday, remember when you were saying that it wasn't the retail investors who were, was it buying or selling? You know, when we were looking at that from a few weeks ago, could we right. get data on that again? How quickly would that kind of come forward and show us some of this? Oh, I think you could get data. I don't remember how quickly that data came out. I, you know, J.P. Morgan, I think, had been the had put some of the data together. Citadel provides. I mean, I think you, you you'll see data in the next, I imagine, day or two or three to try to understand how, you know, what drove this. It'll be very interesting. Um, I wonder, though, whether there's and it's the one thing you heard hints about online yesterday, that there are groups of people talking to each other, but they're actually not doing it on a Wall Street Reddit's forum publicly, that there are groups of people that are forming on Signal and other kinds of services that are that are in private. So I'm very curious to see how this all plays out, because we keep talking about sort of this social media enabled trading and and how that works. What was kind of terrific about it the last time was it was very, very public in terms of understanding uh, that there was this big group of people who were making an argument, go for it. And you saw some of that obviously yesterday afternoon, but in terms of what really uh, started it, obviously the the bell news uh, might, might have helped or clearly helped, but there had to, somebody had to ring the bell. So we'll see. Moderna is planning to launch a clinical trial of a new vaccine designed to combat the South Africa variant of the coronavirus. But you can imagine um, there are some similar mutations. And this is like a promise, I think you would think, uh, of the the messenger RNA technology and how quickly it can be adapted. Uh, So that you would have to, you know, put on the check mark for good news in the face of all the bad news with these mutations, the company is going to test several variations of a booster, including one that is variant specific uh, and a potential third dose of the original vaccine. Moderna said it shipped enough doses for testing already to the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. So you remember in the old days before we had all this this technology for sequencing and, and actually producing these these very complex molecules. But. Got it down. It's pretty interesting. Meantime, researchers say a new form of the coronavirus is rapidly spreading in New York City. It contains a similar mutation to the Brazil and South Africa variants, makes it more resistant to vaccines. It uh, first appeared back in November, and by the middle 
uh, of February accounted for a fourth of the viral samples that were tested from New York City. The Caltech study of the NYC uh, samples also found six cases of the UK variant, two of the Brazil, uh, and one of the South Africa uh, variant. And I, I guess we need experts to tell us how much diversity there is between the variants. Now, we know that the variants are different from the original, and now I just wonder whether they're all very similar and, and the same booster you're using for one might be more effective or might be effective on, on most of the variants. It all has to do, I think, with that spike protein. We're starting to get into weeds, so uh, we better wait till Gottlieb's on uh, to talk about it. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised to, to hear that this is here. We've kind of known these strains would be here and circulating. Um, I, I think the bigger question is, it, it's amazing how quickly Moderna is able to come up with this new know, booster, um, yeah. potential shot for it. But I guess the question becomes is how quickly do does it continue, the virus continue to, to mutate too. Um, but But we know that even for the existing vaccines, they do provide a, a, a pretty decent level of immunization, even against some of these new variants when they've been tested, too. Right. Take, maybe takes the worst case right. uh, scenarios off the table. Uh, off the table. Once you do that, it's you know, much better, much, much more manageable, it, it seems like. Right. So. Exactly. There were some uh, pretty interesting comments yesterday from Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger. He sounded the alarm on the SPAC craze at yesterday's virtual annual meeting for the Daily Journal, which is his other company. He was answering shareholder questions uh, via Yahoo Finance live stream. And in it, the 97-year-old Munger made clear that he is not a fan of all this SPAC speculation. I don't participate at all, and I think the world would be better off without them. I think this kind of crazy speculation in enterprises not even found or picked out yet is a sign of, of uh, uh, an irritating bubble. It's just that the investment banking profession will sell as long as can be sold. Uh, the things we beeped out, that was the investment bank will sell... Another word for it, or Joe, the word you use is shih tzu. Shih tzu. Uh, they'll be selling shih tzu as long as shih tzu will be sold, will be bought. Right. Um, Munger also took issue with commission-free trading uh, on the platform Robinhood, saying that the momentum-driven trading frenzy is, in his words, regrettable. Robinhood trades are not free. When you pay for order flow, you're, you're probably charging your customers more and pretending to be free. It's a very dishonorable, low-grade way to talk. And nobody should believe that Robin Hood's trades are free. Munger also equated commission-free trading with what he called disgusting lies. What else did he take issue with? Well, Bitcoin. As you might imagine, Charlie Munger is not a crypto buyer. I do think that a properly run bank is a great contributor to civilization and that the central banks of the world like controlling their own banking system and their own money supplies. So I don't think Bitcoin is going to end up the medium of exchange for the world. It's too volatile to serve well as, as a medium of exchange. And it's really kind of an artificial substitute for gold. And since I never buy any gold, I never buy any Bitcoin. And I recommend that other people follow my practice. 
In fact, regarding Bitcoin, he quoted Oscar Wilde on fox hunting. He said, it's the pursuit of the uneatable by the unspeakable. And in terms of what the Daily Journal will be doing, he said that they will not be following Tesla into Bitcoin. Probably not a surprise. Munger has um, said that he really wouldn't have gotten into this for a long time. I think he called it uh, rat poison a couple of years ago. He is 97. Um, but his comments, guys, just on what he sees on Wall Street, what he talked about with the SPACs, what he thinks in terms of uh, what's being sold by investment bankers right now, pretty um, clear spoken, as he always is. Charlie says what he thinks and has no problem getting out there. You know, he was really on fire yesterday. Watched this for two hours, him taking questions. And um, he's quick. He was uh, speaking exactly how he thinks about things. And he was pretty colorful along the way. Mm -hmm. He was. Uh, you know, he's very wise. I love this man. He's very wise. He is. Uh, I, I was trying to, you know, yeah. we get, I get the boomer moniker. He's not even a boomer. I think he's, gen, he's the greatest generation. He's not. Right? It, he he served in World War II. Or he served in World War II. He's not a boomer. That, no, I, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's like, but, but what's before yeah. the greatest generation? <laughs> no, I think he's greatest. <laughs> he's, he's greatest. He's greatest yeah. generation. So then you got Definitely greatest is. generation, boomers. Then you got, what's after the boomers? Is that the, the generation Gen X? And then you got the, the yeah. millennials who, you know, who want to do a SPAC. Yeah. They want to do a SPAC for a hoverboard that they store in their parents' basement. And then you got, what, what's after the, the millennials? Is that, uh, who's after I don't the millennials? Is that Z? I think it might be Z. And I'm not saying, and I'm not being Maybe. ageist, but, you know, you know Warren and Charlie, I, I don't think, embraced Amazon very early. I, they didn't really embrace Apple no, very early. And while, while he was buying well, IBM, he was, not, he was not buying. I know they do, but it, they, they bought, you know. So they didn't embrace any of the new stuff very early. That's for sure. So it's not like they're, they're no. early adopters. So I, I just wonder, has Charlie ever read 10 pages on, on blockchain or, or on, on how? Uh, what the I will bet money. My guess would be. I will bet money he has actually. Then he differs with I, guys like yeah. Andreessen and Peter Thiel and and uh, people that see the math or the Winklevi that see the mathematics of how this is put together and 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 see the that there might be inherent value there. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's early. So we'll see. Could all Joe, come crashing point, down. He, could all come crashing down, or they could buy it. If Charlie's 117, maybe he buys it when he's 117, when it's taken over the entire world. Well, the question is, is it gold or is it something else? And if it's gold, he is not going to like it anyway. I mean, that's, that's always true. that. He did say that. He did say that. Which right? is no, also, that's, and I, that's, yeah. yeah, I understand. No income. He's, they've made that case many, many times. It's, you know, you don't so. get anything for while you're sitting there holding it. You just have to pay for storage, I guess. Right. I'd buy gold before an, before an ETF. Before an ETF, when you're trying to bribe right. the border, border guards with your statement, look, I own all this gold. I got these ETFs. That's Please let me out. That's what yeah. he said right. in the past. It'll be, it'll be even better Charlie when you have your iPhone and you say, look at all my, look at all my Bitcoin. Gold. Right, right. Next on Squawk Pod, Carlyle Group co-founder David Rubenstein. He discusses Biden's coronavirus relief plan and says Congress should act now. We have a real risk that we're going to have a, a country of two cities, really a tale of two cities, where people are going to be a permanent underclass and they're never going to catch up and get back to where they should be. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, 
visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. In Washington, House Democrats are looking to advance President Biden's nearly $2 trillion COVID relief bill tomorrow. Joining us to talk about the potential market and economic impacts and the fight over the minimum wage is David Rubenstein. He's co-founder and co-executive chairman of the Carlyle Group. David, it's great to see you. Um, You may be the perfect person to talk to about all this because you're an expert not only in the ways of Washington, but also in the ways of the market. Um, I guess we'll start with the politics on this, though. Uh, your, Your bet that this COVID bill eventually gets passed. Yes. In Washington, when you have the votes, you call a vote and the Democrats have the votes. Uh, They don't have the votes yet for the minimum wage increase. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they do have the votes for the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. So we'll go through the House, probably with all Democratic votes, and through the Senate, probably with only Democratic votes as well. But they do have the votes to to pass that bill, and it will go through. When it comes to the minimum wage, that's something that Joe Manchin in the Senate has said he's opposed to. Kristen Sinema, perhaps, too. I, I don't know where that kind of winds up with it. Um, what kind of a problem does that create? Because they need every vote in the Senate. Well, the president uh, wants to have the increase to uh, the $15 uh, an hour. And we haven't had an increase since 2009, really. Uh, so it's probably overdue. Um, it's not, it doesn't really affect that many workers. Less than 1% of American workers actually uh, get the minimum wage. But it is a symbolic issue for sure. And it will have some other spillover effects. Uh, the president has made it clear that He can live without getting the increase. He would like to get the increase. But I suspect there'll be a compromise, probably closer to $11 an hour, which I think uh, Senator Manchin has said he could support. So I do think that there'll be some increase in the minimum wage, but not probably $15 an hour. Yeah, that is what Manchin has said, the the $11 he'd support. I think Mitt Romney told Andrew the other day that um, he'd even support potentially $10 as a minimum wage. Do you think that there are any Republicans that vote with this or this is a, a, a pure... Democrat, vote down the party line ticket. I think it's probably going to be a party line vote just because I think the Republicans have done a pretty good job of whipping their members into line. And I do think that it'll pass pretty much only with Democratic votes uh, for for a lot of reasons. Uh, But I think the president is very happy to get this bill through. Now, there has been some criticism that it's too big and it may be bigger than is relatively needed. And some people like Larry Summers and others have said it's not necessary to have a bill this this magnitude. But the secretary of Treasury, I think, has convinced the president that and I think uh, rightly so, that you probably should over um, promise a little bit more and get more than you really need. So if there is some inflation that comes about as a result of this, it's not going to be terrible, given how low our inflation rate has been for such a long time. A little inflation is something that we could probably tolerate. Are there concerns you have at this point uh, about what we're seeing in the markets, whether things are overheating on the stock side, whether you worry about how rapidly the yields look to be rising in treasuries right now? Well, there's no doubt that the bond market is a little worried now, and it's kind of indicating that at some point there will be a Fed rate increase. Uh, I don't think that there's likely to be any increase from the Fed anytime soon, though. I think the Fed and the Treasury are really in sync, probably more so than I've ever seen uh, the Fed and the Treasury in sync. So I think they both feel that if there's a little inflation that can be tolerated, will keep interest rates low, uh, at least for this year, I, I think maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I don't think that there is speculation that's undue in the stock market, but clearly there's some areas where you see speculation that's probably not tolerable, uh, but it's modest, relatively speaking. So n- no big red warning signals as flat as far as you're concerned with this, David? 
Well, I'm always worried about something. Uh, I suspect that there's always something that could go wrong. I, clearly, some areas, some stocks go up so, so quickly, you have to wonder how they can justify it. And when you see stocks with multiple billion-dollar valuations with no revenue, you have to wonder whether there is a, a bit of a, a bubble here. But you only know when there's a bubble when it's, it crashes. Right now, I would say there's some areas that probably are a little inflated. But on the whole, the biggest problem that the president is worried about and the biggest problem I think the, the, the administration is worried about and the Democrats in Congress is that we still have a very high unemployment rate. The real rate is about 10 percent. And 10 percent unemployment is really affecting people at the bottom of the economic strata. So people like you and I are probably doing OK. But people who are working in blue collar jobs, people that have been laid off, these people are in food lines. They have really serious needs. And that's what the president's worried about. And the secretary of Treasury is a labor economist. And she really feels it's probably important to get people back to work and get full employment, which is defined really at about four and a half percent. So unemployment rate when it's really four and a half percent right now, it's probably really about 10 percent. So I think the administration really feels we need to move forward with this bill. If it produces a little inflation, it's not the end of the earth. If it gets people back to work, that's a good thing. That's their view. David, I guess that would be my question. Why, why not more focus on the people who have been impacted, who have either been laid off and lost their jobs? Why not focus more on extending unemployment and giving more money to those people rather than sending checks to people who might not have been impacted at all by this? Well, there is a lot of that in this bill. And I'm not saying I wrote the bill. I'm not saying I'm the principal advocate of the bill. But there's a lot of that in the bill. I think there's a general feeling that the mistake that was made in 2008 and 2009 was the, the uh, bill that was passed under President Obama wasn't big enough to get the economy going again as strong as it should have been. And therefore, they're willing to overreach a little bit and maybe get things done. And besides, you have to get the votes and they need the votes to get this bill through. And everything is a, is a patchwork kind of thing. So this is what they think they need to get all the Democratic votes. So there's a little bit in there for almost everybody. We heard from Charlie Munger yesterday. He was speaking at the Daily Journal um, annual meeting, and he had some pretty harsh comments for a lot of corners of Wall Street, but especially when it came to things like Robin Hood and promising free trades and what that means to take in retail investors. He thinks it's gambling that's sucking them into this. Commission-free trading is a, is a very good candidate if you want to emphasize disgusting lies. Commission-free trading is not free. What do you think about those thoughts? Charlie Munger is a brilliant investor. And uh, as you know, he is uh, willing, as you've covered him for many years, uh, to say what is on his mind. And he doesn't hold back. And I think he has some uh, really good points. There's no doubt there's some speculation in some areas of the market. There's no doubt that some people are trading uh, stocks. They really don't know what they're doing. And some people are basically using an excessive margin, I think. Uh, but I think on the whole, the stock market's not our biggest problem. The biggest problem we have right now is the economy is still weighed down by COVID. And until we get out of that and we get back to a situation where we have more closer to full employment, the economy is now really going to be fair to everybody. So I think the biggest problem we should worry about is not people speculating. Uh, young people might be speculating buying some stocks that maybe they shouldn't be buying. The real big problem is all the people that are out of work. And we have a, a real risk that we're going to have a, a country of two cities, really, a tale of two cities, where people are going to be a permanent underclass and they're never going to catch up and get back to where they should be. So that's the biggest problem for the economy right now. Two things in terms of what would help that. The first is this COVID relief bill that, that we've been talking about. The, the other is just 
Um, what's happening with vaccinations, that getting rolled out, yes. maybe COVID getting pushed back. We have seen the caseload decline incredibly rapidly, rapidly, even more rapidly than you might anticipate from the rollout of the vaccines. How much of that do you think is kind of playing into this? How much do you bet on just that? Well, the president has said their two highest priorities right now are getting everybody vaccinated or everybody that wants to be vaccinated, vaccinated and getting the stimulus bill through. A vaccination is improving. Jeff Zions has done a really good job of uh, coordinating this. But again, we still have a small percentage of the population, relatively speaking, vaccinated. And therefore, it's going to take probably until the summer before almost everybody is vaccinated who wants to be vaccinated. Probably we're not going to have herd immunity until the end of the summer or maybe September or so. So we've got a long way to go. Uh, clearly, it was a brilliant move to get the vaccines produced before they were actually approved by the FDA. We just didn't get enough of them uh, manufactured. And as a result, we don't have enough vaccinations uh, material to give everybody a vaccine who wants one. So we're still playing catch up there. And I think the what you've cited is true. It's a really good positive move, but we're still a few months away from where we need to be. And until we get there, I don't think the economy can really truly recover. David, thanks for your time today. Always good talking with you. Becky, thank you very much. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the world's largest brewer, AB InBev, on consumers adapting to lockdowns and how commodity costs have been weighing on the beer stock. CEO Carlos Brito. That combination of cans and grocery stores are normally where the margins are lower. So all that pressure on margins, and some of that will continue in 2021. Plus, gaming GameStop with CNBC's Jim Cramer. If GameStop were to turn itself into a 5,000-store introduction to crypto, Make it so that they buy, sell a book, sell a billion dollars with the stock, Ryan Cohen, and buy crypto with it, and then make it so it's an international gaming place where you win Bitcoin. I think you can justify the stock price. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at Chevron.com slash meeting demand. You're listening to Squawk Pod. The world's largest brewer, Anheuser-Busch InBev, released promising earnings today, showing an uptick in revenue as more bars and restaurants start to slowly reopen. But the company warned against profit margin pressure in the year ahead. Anheuser-Busch owns brands like Budweiser, Modelo, and Corona, not the virus, as well as many other top beer companies. CEO Carlos Brito joined us this morning. Here's Joe Kernan. Carlos, you you thank all your employees and and, uh, um, everyone that's been trying to uh, to, to navigate through this uh, this period, uh, and, and you're gratified with the results. Stocks down a little, but it's been tough. What what were the highlights in uh, in your view and how the company uh, reacted uh, to the pandemic in the latest quarter? 
Well, thanks for having me. Uh, we're very glad with, uh, especially the second half of last year, 2020. In the first half, as you might remember, there were a lot of government mandated shutdowns. In some countries, we were shut down in terms of business for one month, two months, couldn't sell any beer. So the fact that the second half, some of those restrictions were eased, if you look at our second half, our volume went down, went back to growth on a global basis. We grew more than 2%, even with restrictions still here and there. But the moment consumers could navigate the, 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 the restrictions that were eased a bit, they found ways of uh, getting occasions more in the home. And uh, for me, what was amazing was that not only our people were very agile as channels shift and consumer patterns shift, but also the platforms we've been investing for the past five years in terms of B2B and B2C, the level of adoption of those platforms because of social distancing but our customers and consumers went through the roof. So that was also a testament of how important it is to have a strong portfolio, but also these days to have a digital way to connect customers and consumers. You point out it, it's hard to imagine that AB InBev is a stay-at-home stock, uh, obviously, but consumers did adapt in terms of online uh, ordering and staying at home and having beers, obviously, but no way to, to overcome the, uh, the not having pubs and bars and restaurants. It, you just, there's, not, there's no way to make that up, is there, Carlos? No, you're right. I mean, when you look at total volume, uh, of course, volume was, was down, especially in the first half, as I said before. The second half, volume grew again because the restrictions were eased a bit. Uh, it's different country by country. For example, in the U.S., where bars and restaurants are very small in terms of the overall volume, consumers adapted well, and a lot of the occasions that used to be in bars and restaurants migrated to the home. The home became the big hub for not just living, but working and also entertaining. And we use our in-house draft line agency to restream uh, you know, content to consumer homes in terms of entertainment, workouts, music, everything we could do to help our consumers so they couldn't be, so they wouldn't be too bored by staying home the whole time. But whenever you do consumer research, and we can see that in China, because China is ahead of the other countries in terms of uh, writing that's COVID and what's, what comes after COVID, is that consumers are really looking forward to a time where they could go again to a sports ball, to a ball game in the stadium, to their bars and meet physically their friends, to traveling. So all those things are gonna be there but I think convenience is something that will remain in their habits. They like the fact that during the pandemic, they had to adopt digital solutions, and we think that will remain. But Carlos, the, the stock's down. You, you think that's because of, of the uh, comments about margin pressure? And, and that, that's a little bit out of your control in terms of higher commodity prices, higher cost of packaging uh, for yeah, things that we, are consumed at home. What, what do you... It, but, but, you know, you're also trying to pay down some of the debt that you took on. And, and I know that I don't know whether the pandemic has has uh, slowed your efforts there. You did a little bit. Uh, the, the debt to EBITDA rose uh, in, in the latest quarter. Yeah, that EBITDA rose because of the, the, the EBITDA that came down because of all the, the, the volume drop we had, especially in the first half. Margins also were under pressure in 2020 because of the channel shift. Bars and restaurants tend to have better margins in some countries than grocery stores. So when everything went to grocery stores 
and in many countries where returnable bottles and draft beer is important, that whole business was shut down and all consumers had to buy was pretty much cans in grocery stores. That combination of cans and grocery stores are normally where the margins are lower. And because everybody was looking for cans, cans was in short supply and therefore more expensive to move around because you have to import to many countries cans from long distances. So right. all that put pressure on margins. And some of that will continue in 2021 until people are vaccinated, until restrictions are lifted, until the channels will balance out a bit better and the package mix will balance out a bit better. Carlos Brito, uh, ABM Dev CEO, Stella, Budweiser, Corona, all these well-known uh, brands now available, too, in Mexico's biggest convenience store chain. Uh, and, uh, and you took market share from Heineken anyway. Uh, hang in there. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, when you take away half of your, uh, of your channel in terms of bars and pubs, but uh, pretty good numbers. Thank you. Appreciate it, Carlos. Thank you. Have a nice okay. day. During our TV broadcast this morning, GameStop continued its surge, tripling in the pre-market compared to its Tuesday close. This game, it's on. CNBC's Jim Cramer joined our Squawk Box anchors to try to figure out why this deep underdog is barking again. Here's Becky. Jim, you got up early this morning, as always, but you are a man with a plan this morning and you are on fire. You, you think you can... Come up with a plan to fix GameStop. Let's talk uh, about it. You have it. to. Everyone has to. You're trying to figure out what to do with GameStop. One of the things that I think that we saw Square do, uh, initially it seemed ridiculous, but it was okay. Uh, PayPal, same thing, is you become a dealer in crypto. Now, last night on the unbelievably good NVIDIA call, as a side note, they talked about March going to have some actual cards just for crypto. It's not going to be important for, for uh, it really won't be important for NVIDIA, but it could be important for a place like GameStop. If GameStop were to turn itself into a 5,000 store introduction to crypto, make it so that they buy, sell, look, sell a billion dollars with a stock, Ryan Cohen, and buy crypto with it, and then make it so it's an international gaming place where you win Bitcoin, I think you can justify the stock price. I have not been able to come up with anything else, but this works. It doesn't have to be Bitcoin. We can make it crypto. But turn it into a crypto information palace, and you have worldwide games, no latency. You play it. And suddenly, Ryan Cohen, then you start believing, well, the CFOs, they tend not to like to, to have Bitcoin in their balance sheet. Perhaps Jim Bell, that's what he didn't want. Ryan Cohen's a big thinker. I have a feeling that this is the way to get this stock higher. I can't come up with another way. Uh, but meanwhile, just because at one time I worked as a hedge fund, everybody hates me, even though it was like 25 years ago. But that's all right. That's the plan. And it's better 5, than 000, anybody I've seen. 5,000 stores. 5,000 yeah, 5, information 000 stores. stores. And, and part of that is... Information stores and esports sort of ways for setting things up. I think right. that's really interesting. And you too, take all that the empty space in the mall right and you pay people in Bitcoin worldwide. We challenge the Chinese on Fortnite. We know that we can do that. The NVIDIA call talked about that. This is the way to be able to make it so that you can figure out why anyone would buy GameStop right at the end of the day, juke it up, really crush a lot of people, because it makes sense. It makes sense that a CFO would not want to do Bitcoin. That could be the Jim Bell departure. I have to come up with all of us have to figure out what's going on here just because the retail investors in it. And we have to protect the retail investor against what happened Jim. previously. Yes, Jim. Is it? Is I? I get the idea. This is like a um, a speculation, though, for yeah. you, right? You're, you're trying to you're trying to rationalize what otherwise seems crazy. Yes, Andrew. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Because otherwise, what is it going to be? 
Uh, look at Best Buy. They talk about supply constraints for gaming. So you could say, well, maybe this is a good quarter for GameStop. You had a great conference, Andrew. And I've got to tell you, I would love to hear, is anyone even talking about regulation of securities? Because we, where is that? And is that just something that only hurts the little guy, like a lot of people seem to think in, in my Twitter feed? Is there any regulation going on right now? Apparently not. Apparently not. But one other question. Do you have any idea how this got started? I mean, we know the Jim Bell, the, the, the Bell piece and all of that. But I've, I, I've been living on these Reddit boards and I still don't yet. I don't get I don't get it this time. Maybe I kind of got it last time. I mean, it didn't make any sense well, anyway, but I, I came at up least with could this. see the, the, the conversation happening. This I didn't even see. Well, this is saw. why I say that you could have 5,000 stores introducing us to Ethereum, all the different Dogecoin. You actually set up worldwide contests, prizes done in Bitcoin. Is this exactly what Ryan Cohen is doing? We don't know. But we know that CFOs don't like Bitcoin. CFO leaves. Andrew? It's a pearl. It's I'm, I'm mixing Edgar Allan Poe, okay, with a little Melville. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at six Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.